Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam. I get to serve as one of the executive pastors here at SMCC and um, somehow just a podcast host as well. So I get to do that. Um, and uh, with me as always, I've got Trevor Lavelle, who is our pastor of teaching discipleship. Yeah, glad to be here. He's back. He's back. Mm-hmm. Eric is not here. You know, Eric just said, he's like, I don't know, don't want to don't want to do it this week or something. I don't know. He said he didn't want to hang out with us. So, Oh, man. Uh, yeah. That's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he's got other stuff going on. He's like, let's get other people on the show. So yeah, yeah Trevor is here as per usual. And then um, today we also have somebody who has not been on the podcast before. First, his name is Ben Helton. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah, Ben is, it's good to have you here, man. Uh, ben is our pastor, our campus pastor at our Lehigh campus. He's new to the team. Glad to have you on the team, man, and glad to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, man. I love being a part of South Mountain, and I'm actually a big fan of the podcast. Oh, uh, man. All know, right. Part of my onboarding was listening to a few seasons of oh, the podcast. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep, And yep. so it, it was really helpful, actually. That's good. Um, so I'm kind of excited to be on the podcast. That's great. <laughs> nice. Did I, actually, this reminds me, did I ever tell you guys that I was on, as a kid, on the radio once? Really? Yeah. So there was a Christian station out of Madison, Wisconsin, uh-huh. that it would be the equivalent to like K-Love, but it wasn't. And they did this thing, I think it was during the summer, if I remember right, where they have a kid on once a week and you could like enter to like be, you know, in on it. And uh, and then one week I was, I was like picked. And so I got to drive up, we got to drive up like really early to Madison, oh. like 45 minute drive from my house. And then they had yeah. a kid segment and I was on it. Oh, good stuff. So yeah. this is Ben's, this is, this is, he's a fan and now, now he's on. Uh-huh. Yeah. This, yeah. That's, that's, where, that's where I was going with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, let's just get to know you a little bit, Ben, for a little bit. Let's, let's like get people to know you. Cause otherwise I feel like listeners just may not know exactly who you are. You're new to our team. And so, um, let's just start out with that. Trevor, you got a good question for him or should I go first or what do you, what do you want to do? Uh, let's start with yours. Okay. So Ben, one thing that I've heard from you is that you have moved around a lot. I, I don't even know what age you were moving around a lot because you've lived in Utah for like 10 years now. So not like a recent thing, but. Well, no, yeah, because I'm pretty old. So, <laughs> um, but yes, I have moved around a lot. Is when that did you, okay. well, what, how many states have you lived in is my question. Because uh, I, I could count, I've lived in, um, I've lived in five, I've lived in five states. Yeah. I did move more when I was younger. Okay. Why? um, My parents were missionaries to Mexico. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then they started working, living on the state side, but actually commuting as missionaries to Mm. Mexico. So that kind of moved us to Arizona and California. Okay. And uh, then my dad became a college professor and he kind of uh, bounced around to different uh, colleges teaching. What did he teach? Uh, you know, from being a missionary, he yeah. got into computer science. Seems like a the natural, natural progression. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
<laughs> that's cool. To this day, I ask him, and I don't think he knows exactly why or how that happened. Oh, computer science <laughs> sounds so cool. Yeah. Does he still? He doesn't still work, does he? He uh, two weeks ago he texted me and said, "Hey, I got an interview at uh, a college in Florida." <laughs> oh my god, Dad! You're, you're oh, so he's still teaching though, right? He, yeah, he's retired, but now he's he's feeling like, "Hey, maybe I should jump back in and try to teach somewhere." Oh wow! <laughs> so, wow, yeah. wow, wow! Cool. You go, Dad. Is he ever gonna vi- is he ever gonna visit Utah? I'd like to meet him. He yeah, cool. yeah. He's uh, he was talking about he doesn't love coming here in the winter. Okay. So. Yeah, <laughs> but he uh, we haven't seen him in a while. Usually, I'll go visit him and okay man but he he spent like a good chunk of winters in the upper peninsula of michigan so he should be this is mild here that's why he then moved to the dc area and every time it snows he he throws something on facebook like that he's upset (laughs) oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i thought i was getting away from all the snow he's had enough snow for a lifetime living in the upper peninsula yeah okay so wait let's get back Mm -hmm. to the question how many states have you lived in well and did you ever live in mexico yeah so i lived in mexico until i was four four and a half so i guess seven i think seven okay yeah i guess i thought it was more yeah but that's, I've, that's I've moved like I've lived in several places in some of those states. Got it. Got so. it. Cool. All yeah. right, Trevor. What other questions we got for Ben? Okay, I want to know the stories that you enjoy. So uh, they don't have to be like your top three movies, but uh, basically top three movies, like three movies that you really like. Three movies Ooh. that would be in your top five or top ten. Um, Ooh, that's good. Yeah, I think uh-huh. some of them are kind of generic, like uh, but they're just so good, like Tombstone. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I watched Conf- it, I think, once. Confession. I've never actually seen uh, it. I know. It's Trevor. not right of me. It's um, uh, Chevy <laughs> Chase, and who else is in that? No. Are you thinking of Three Amigos? <laughs> oh, that's what I'm, <laughs> that is what I'm thinking of. No, I have seen Tombstone, hey, though, well, yes. Got, Val- actually, that's a really good one, too. Because <laughs> Val funny. Kilmer's performance, I think, as Doc Holliday, is supposed to be, like, incredible, yeah. but I've never experienced it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, three. Though. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, I love Eurovision. Eurovision. What is? Is that the singing competition movie? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, oh, with um, with uh, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. is a good movie. I mean, okay. Yes. Yeah. I oh, never I respect saw that. that one. From Tombstone to Eurovision. Yeah. Okay. One of my favorites. Um, that's in your. That's one of your top. That's one of your yeah, top ones. Yeah. Not a shame. <laughs> Dude, no, I I respect yeah. that. That's great. Yeah, I don't know. Um. I don't know a third one. I, you know, I kind of nostalgic. Uh, Back to the Future. Okay, the first that is one good, yeah. is just so nostalgic for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I as a kid, I had the Back to the Future skateboard. Oh, like they had sick. a like a replica of it that they mm-hmm. sold at Kmart. Again, oh, I'll yeah, date Kmart, myself yeah. a little bit. And that was my first skateboard. So yeah. wow, yeah. Can you still skateboard? Um, you know, I did at, at youth a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I was I was doing I was trying to do some stuff and oh yeah, I was trying to pull off a kickflip and and everybody Dude. was scared to death. Like <laughs> all the adults and kids were like, "Oh no, he's gonna break a hip." Or and did you? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not uh, you're not old if you're still on the skateboard, man. You're <laughs> still ripping it. You yeah. and Jeff Rubel should get together oh, and hang, man. dude. He's, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's my hero when it comes to <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> Jeff Rubel's the guy from the Lehigh campus uh, that still skateboards, level. snowboards, and surfs like he's right. 18 years old. Yep. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, let's let's move on. We got we to gotta get to our, our stuff for today, which is week three of of contours first john chapter three what's funny is before as i was pulling up my notes i was pulling up the gospel of john chapter three and then i'm like nope it's not that not that john first john 
Um, so Trev, you, man, you wrote this series. So where are we headed for, for week three now? Uh, yeah, well, it feels like, you know, my understanding throughout the letter, John is basically sketching these sort of broad, uh, you know, broad outlines of, uh, sort of the most basic ideas, most essential ideas within, uh, within life, within reality. And in chapter three, he moves into basically giving us an understanding of what the, what the shape of a human is and kind of what's central to humanity. And within that even draws a contrast of what it looks like for that to unravel within our lives and Uh what brings that about. So, um, yeah, the way I read it, that's what I really see John unpacking within chapter three of this letter. So great. Great. The reason why, I mean, I'm just the lowly host on this show. Trevor, you preached this weekend. Mm -hmm. You preached it five times. Ben preached this weekend. Yep. So should be pretty familiar with the content here. So where do we want to start for, for reading as we jump into the, the passages itself? Yeah, I know we started in verse 28 of chapter 2, and uh. that's if you like look at the NIV, that's kind of where the section is. Mm-hmm. We could start either, we could start there or even in chapter 3, verse 1, either way. But I mean, if you feel like it serves the text, we can, we can go from 28 into I think it's helpful. Three. Yeah, maybe 228 to 3, 3. <clears throat> okay, you got it. I'll, I'll go ahead and read that. So starting back in chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did, uh, is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. That Mm. does seem to flow well together. I like that. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, and I think in that early section, like verse 28, um, he's saying, Continue in him so that when he appears, we, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And the question is, you know, what is it that brings about their confidence in their being unashamed? What gives them the ability to be that way? And he's saying, he's tying it to, to really continuing in him. And the question is, as you unpack that, what does that mean? Does it mean be perfect? Uh, does it mean be, you know, have everything together within your life uh, with no sin, no struggle, no missteps, or does it mean something else? And uh, yeah, so thoughts? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's very key that it's in him. Uh, it's not continue in your own effort or your own ability or your own, uh, you know, performance-based righteousness. It's, it's uh, abiding. It is actually mm-hmm. other translations there will, will, uh, will use that term there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see that throughout First John a lot, that abide. And, and, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how do we do that? What's mm-hmm. my, <laughs> give me a description of what that means. And, and we talk a lot about abiding. Um, and, uh, I think that's helpful to, to understand that it, it is remaining in him. Don't get off the path. They've been taught a very different message right. and that that's trying to steer them in wrong direction. Uh, stay in the grace and in, uh, the confidence of, of Jesus accomplishing what he said he would. Yeah. I, I feel like it's like, I like from week one, I'm reminded, I keep going back to it. It felt like the theming was 
what is fellowship or intimacy or communion with God. And you can mm-hmm. almost like reference back to that from chapter one mm-hmm. and take that same idea of continuing in him. I haven't done obviously the word study in that, but continue in fellowship and communion with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And knowing that John's the same author of this as well as the gospel of John, and you've got that section in John 15 where Jesus, you know, develops that whole metaphor of I am the vine. Um, you're the branches and uh, basically remain in me. You, mm-hmm. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can you can do nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so continue to, you know, remain in him in sense of placing trust in him. Um, yeah, and I think he, he lays that out here and then he moves into unpacking some of the realities that occur on the other side of placing trust in Jesus. <clears throat> and so he gets into talking about in verse one of chapter three, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Uh, even the verse prior to that, he mentions being born of him. Mm-hmm. And I think within these, he's getting at this idea of regeneration, of being brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, even an element <clears throat> an element of adoption within here, of being brought into the family of God, kind of mm-hmm. tying these two theological concepts together. What I do think is fascinating that we didn't get a chance to talk about in the message is that he goes into saying that, you know, it's almost like you're born as, as children of God, and he says, verse two, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but what, <clears throat> but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And the question is, what is he talking about here? Is he saying that humans at one day will become divine uh, or is he saying something else? So yeah, how would you unpack that? Well, yeah, I would, uh, I think it is that mystery that <clears throat> here, this is John. We always have to remember that he witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And so he got a glimpse of this resurrection body of, of, Mm. you know, just he was in bodily form, but it was a resurrected body. And and that's the type of future Mm. that that will be for believers. Mm -hmm. So we won't we won't become deity. We won't Mm -hmm. become Jesus in that sense. But Jesus is the picture. And Mm -hmm. and it's mysterious, though. You know, John's like, I don't know what it's like, but Mm -hmm. and that's really exciting to think about in the future. But now, I love how he's so excited. Now you are children of God. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't get caught up, like, trying to figure out all the details mm-hmm. of what that's going to be like, because mm-hmm. get excited right now. God has lavished his love on us, and we are his children right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the, uh, the resurrection, <clears throat> as you said, as, as John saw for himself, too, um, yeah, the resurrection is such a, a big deal and probably i would guess i don't actually know this but even with that gnostic influence of the time of this audience that um the spiritual was was so much uh, greater than the physical and yet we have jesus who wasn't resurrected in this ghostly spirit form and he's like floating around in the sky like he was in bodily form and so that gives um weight to the physical resurrection which we as believers have 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 faith in he was the first fruits going back to the I guess mm-hmm. vine and you know all these types of things, but yeah, first fruits of what is to come too. So yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. The first the first crop of the harvest, and then uh, the rest of the harvest is still yet to come, which is what mm-hmm. what we are. So mm-hmm. definitely looking forward to that. Um, okay, let, let's take it. Let's keep moving. Uh, maybe verse four all the way through verse ten. Okay. That's yeah, yeah. Let's do that chunk. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. 
Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not know what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Going back to some similar themes. Also, let me say this. Um, it's interesting reading this again. It sparked a memory of mine. Lots of memories. This is a memory as a kid as well. Um, we used to, this is, I'm just going to go into too much detail here. <laughs> Me and my siblings were homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we would do is my mom would try to find good ways for us to like use our time. And uh, one of the things that we would do occasionally is go visit the um, uh, retirement home that was in our city. And we would talk with, with people, you know, provide some conversation and friends to them. So anyways, long story short, I remember distinctly visiting somebody who was a Jehovah's Witness and who would reference this because I think if I remember correctly, they believe that once you believe in Jesus, you you literally do not sin anymore. And I'm p- pretty confident this is the passages they were mm-hmm. referencing. So, yes. yeah. so pastors, I mean, what is John, what is John saying here in four or five and six? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, oh, really right. good question. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. this is, you're right. There are groups that have taken this kind of weird, extreme view that you just, you don't sin anymore mm-hmm. after you become a Christian. And uh, that that's so uh, counter to what Paul would be addressing to so many believers about their sin issues. Mm-hmm. You know, in many letters, he would say, hey, here's here's a bunch of sin issues. Knock it off. Don't Don't have that in your life. Right. James says that we stumble in many ways. Um, so yeah, it doesn't seem to, to add up. I, mm-hmm. uh, really quickly, I, I ran into a group like that. I was on staff at a church in Arlington, Texas, and mm-hmm. we were showing the Super Bowl that, uh, one Sunday afternoon and, you know, we're, ah, should we show it? Should we not? We were showing at halftime, a, a gospel presentation and, uh-huh. and we thought it'd be good, but we had a, a church in town that had that very peculiar view mm-hmm. and they picketed our church. And we thought it was so weird. We went and we talked to them and we were like, why, why are you picketing us? And, oh, wow. and we went to, came to find out that they had that view. Um, huh. And so we talked to them, to them about that. And um, it, we just, we tried to distract them because we, we didn't want them to hold signs up in front of our church. We thought it was kind of weird. Oh, man. Um, and <laughs> and uh, what was interesting though, was that was the famous Super Bowl of Janet Jackson. Oh, uh, I was yeah. going to ask, what Super Bowl halftime show did you, did <laughs> yeah. you, did you, I mean, wow, yeah, so divine It was, it was such a blessing that <laughs> instead of that Super Bowl uh, halftime show, the famous nip yes. slip, yep, um, yep. can I say that on this podcast? You can say um, it, yes, yeah, that's fun. We showed, you know, a gospel presentation to kids and family and Dude, stuff instead of saying Ben's that, so. doing the Lord's yeah, work, man. Right. There you go. But I had to dig into it. And you're right. This is exactly where they took that from. Got it. And as you walk through it, um, Trevor probably has some really good things to say about this. But it, it really makes this huge contrast because it says these people are of the devil. Are believers of the devil? No. Uh, and these people are born of God as you walk through it. And it talks about the practice of you know, it reminds me of like practicing mm. law. If you're okay. a lawyer, you practice law. 
that's a huge part of your identity if you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You don't practice law every second of every day, every you know, well, waking hour. But it's, it's a, a huge new direction of what your life's about. Yeah. And so I think you know, it's very clear that that's, that's the, the mm-hmm. kind of, that's mm-hmm. how I take it. Trevor. Yeah, yeah, totally. <clears throat> and I think like verses six and nine, they, ba- they basically both make that same claim of like, you, you're not going to continue to sin. And uh, yeah, we're, we're g- got to give another shout out here. We were talking with Trent Gray last night, who brought up from uh, some of his own independent study that the, the, the word sin in verse nine is not the typical word, hamartia, not the typical Greek word for sin. It's a slight variation on it that actually only occurs here within the New Testament. Hmm. And uh, it's a version of the word that basically indicates an ongoing continual manner. So a oh. habitual manner. Yeah. Um, and so John is, is basically saying that to continue to kind of, to continue to, to operate in this same manner on the other side of a relationship with Jesus is in some ways an indication that the relationship with Jesus as isn't actually there. Got it. Got it. So it's, it's talking about something other than the, the struggle with sin. I think it's talking about kind of willfully actively choosing sin in the absence mm-hmm. of any struggle uh, whatsoever. And yeah, yeah and yeah. we can even just go back and understand too, that um, we got these contours that John is writing. So that sharp contrast, which mm-hmm. I feel like when I was preaching week two, we really covered that well of, basically the the Gnosticism of the time was very much like, as long as you were good spiritually, mm-hmm. you could basically just live your life as you did before. What you did didn't matter. And mm-hmm. so he's, and again, bringing up this idea again, he's using sharp contrast to draw yeah. your attention to it. There's something with that too, that uh, verse 10, he, he makes this contrast between children of God and children of the devil. Mm-hmm. And I think he's leaning into exactly what you're saying. I think he's kind of throwing a jab at the false teachers here Mm. uh, because you could ask the question, well, he's already talked about, you know, children of God regenerated, uh, adopted into the family of God. That's some of the theological stuff that's happening there. And that's a reality. To be children of the devil, I think is more so he's he's throwing a jab at them that is kind of a theologically sophisticated jab because Mm. if you go back to the Gospel of John, um, John 10, 10, Jesus actually is recorded as saying that the thief, in reference to the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. And so drawing that contrast between really the purpose of Jesus, why he came, and, and the purpose of the devil. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, kind of the first instance that you see the devil at play, and, and this is a consistent theme throughout the biblical writings, but the way the devil is able to steal, kill, and destroy to bring ruin into our lives, to lead us into misery, is actually through convincing us to believe lies and to make decisions upon lies and to build our lives upon lies, upon things that are not true. That's how the stealing and the killing and the destroying comes about. Hmm. And so when he calls them children of the devil, he's basically saying that you're operating in the very same manner, that that's what they did. They, they presented to you ideas that were not true, that were false, that were lies, and have tried to persuade you to build your lives on them in such a way that leads you not to more, not to more joy or more peace or a more fulfilling or satisfying life. But in every instance, um, they, they've presented to you lies that to build your life on them will lead to less of all of that. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a theologically sophisticated jab, I think. I like it. I yeah, like and it. it's, it's very similar to how Jesus approached the Pharisees. The, yeah. the kind of language and the kind of 
you know, uh, accusations really, or description that, that Jesus gave those teachers, which I think is interesting because these are people who are trying to cling on to some form of the church, trying to, mm-hmm. you know, cling on to like, Hey, Jesus, we accept them at some level, you know, but they don't, they don't have the correct, uh, correct understanding of who he is. And it leads to the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, just throughout Christian history, we can, we can fall prey to the same thing mm. of, of people coming in just like this. It's not just people uh, who, who rejected the Messiah. You know, it happens in the church, and it happened very early on in the church right here. Hmm. Yeah. And then it goes on to talk about the love that they have. So not only are they deceivers and, and liars and of, of the devil, but they lack love. And I think he's just saying, here's... Here's an indicator of someone who is a believer. And I can, I can just testify to this in my life that you love other believers. Hmm. Like there's just something innate in you that, that you, you run across other people who have been transformed by Hmm. Jesus and you just, your your heart is just beating with theirs. Mm -hmm. And, and he's saying that's not the case with, with Mm -hmm. someone who is, who is not of Christ and rejecting Christ and, Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's, you know, that's a big part of it too. They don't, they don't have the love for other believers that, that God mm-hmm. gives us. Mm. Yeah, totally. And that's actually where he goes next. I think into drawing that, that contrast, that kind of sharp division between love and, and hatred even um, in the next section. And he does so with this case study with Cain and then even presents Jesus actually as a case study in, in love as the kind of supreme case study, the supreme example for what love is. So Maybe let's take it for uh, 11 through 18. Take that section together. Yep, yep, got it. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Wow, what a passage. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. First John is so powerful. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, that contours idea, the contrast, and in, in drawing just a, a lot of attention to, I think, big ideas, not necessarily the minute details per se, but big ideas. And this is even an idea that was expressed in, in John chapter two as well, was the mm-hmm. uh, shape of love yeah. um, from week two. So that continues in this too. Yeah. It's like he's delving further into that and, uh, and, and even leaning into the, what the opposite of that is or mm-hmm. what that indicates. And so the, the case study of Cain and Abel, I think is fascinating mm-hmm. of these two brothers who... Yeah, unpack it for us. What if a listener even just doesn't isn't quite familiar with that mm-hmm. story? Yep. So it's Genesis chapter four. Basically within the flow of Genesis, you've got creation, um, kind of two, two different accounts of creation that um, are intended to be paired together in Genesis one and Genesis two. And then you come into Genesis 3 and the fall occurs where Adam and Eve, you know, reject a relationship with God, choose not to trust him. 
and uh, that brings about the entrance into sin into all of humanity, severs, damages our relationship with God, and impacts significantly our relationships with one another as well. And so you see some of that in the aftermath of them eating from the fruit just in, in the garden itself, where God's like, Adam, where are you? He's like, I'm hiding because I heard you and I was afraid. And he's like, did you eat the fruit? And he's like, yeah, I did, but I did so because of the, the woman that you gave mm. me. And so he's placing blame, blame elsewhere. And uh, yeah, and then Eve, Eve blames the serpent. And so kind of, it's a whole, you see the, the relational mess entering in, mm. in a, a way that feels very familiar, I think, to, to all of yeah, us. Totally. And then in chapter four, you see that just continue even further as the, mm. the two sons that Adam and Eve have are Cain and Abel initially. And uh, they both give these gifts to God uh, as a way of honoring God. And, uh, you know, Abel's brings joy and delight to God while Cain's doesn't. And it's because of something that has to do with Cain's attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, because on the other side of it, rather than learning from it, rather than humbling himself or anything like that, he actually, he, um, yeah, he grows bitter. He grows jealous. He grows angry with Cain or with Abel, sits and stews in those emotions until he kind of reaches the point where uh, he actually goes out and, and murders his brother. John uses the word here for murder, mm-hmm. can be translated also as butcher. He butchers his own brother. Ooh. And part of the narrative is also this, that that like sin is crouching and, and wants to overtake him, wants to devour him. And it it's basically a demonstration. It's an account uh, that, it's an account that is kind of, it's a case study that's portraying what our relationship with sin is like, that he's essentially he wants God's favor. He's angry that he didn't get it. He's trying to figure out how he can secure that, a good thing for himself. And he builds his life, his pursuit of that good thing on the lie that if he can get rid of his brother who's getting in his way, then God's favor will be his. And so he murders him for it. Yeah. That's a good explanation right there. (laughs) For our audiences, Trevor just did that off the cuff. All all living in his brain. Uh, So yeah, it's the one example here is um bringing that about and um man and, and and john's just weaving in a whole bunch of different things here um yeah curious ben any of your thoughts on this on this yeah, passage what jumps out to me is the world will hate you um mm-hmm. and then it goes on to talk about death to life and um i think you know part of the world's confusion or, or hatred towards people who are claiming jesus or the christian faith is um then a misunderstanding that, that I think so many people think the it's a system of morality. It's uh, a way that we enter into to to uh, uh, we have some checklist of trying mm. to trying to be good. And I love how John describes it here. It, it, it's not here's your problem. You're spiritually dead. Mm. And what Jesus offers is his life. And mm. so we go from death to life. It's not um, it's not a. a uh, uh, self-righteous system that we're, we're yeah. trying to get into. And I do think yeah. Cain was, was stuck into that. I think uh, Eve, or I'm sorry, it was Adam. Um, they, they got into that. They were trying to fix the situation. Even after that, they were mm-hmm. like, well, how do I fix it? And they start grabbing leaves mm-hmm. and they're thinking, well, in, in our own effort, we can fix it. Well, who had to fix it? God mm-hmm. had to fix it. He had to shed blood to fix it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that's, that, that just jumps out to me in that passage, the death, uh, from yeah. death to life. Yeah. 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 And so love isn't, it's not like if I work harder at love, I can bring myself from death to life. If you're dead, you're unable to do anything. Yeah. Mm. But love is the evidence that Jesus has brought you from death to life. Yeah. yeah. Again, sharp well, contrast, well, just like you were saying, Ben, it's not like 
the checklist and it's like, oh, I scored a 85% on, on it. Like, oh, that was, that's pretty good. That's a B, you know, like it's like, <laughs> you know, there's the sharp contrast of death and life and, and there's not really this in between per se. Yeah. Yeah. In verse 15, he says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. That's drawing on Jesus's teaching from the Sermon mm-hmm. on the Mount, a sermon that he gave several times that John was present for, probably had a chance to talk with Jesus about around a fire or as yeah. they're walking around, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Israel. That, uh, that Jesus unpacks that very connection. Then he goes on to say, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Mm-hmm. To be clear, I, yeah, this yeah. does not mean that, uh, that Jesus's invitation is not on the table for someone who has committed murder. And I have heard people claim that. Again, kind of going back to the mm-hmm. people going, oh, hey, we're sinless after we're created. Well, here's another one where people will say, yes. if you're mm-hmm. on death row, you know, God's grace isn't that, enough. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. and that, but that's such a practical question. Yeah, like, yeah, can somebody, you know, I've been asked that question too. Like, yeah, somebody's on death row, they're in prison, you know, and they come to know Jesus, like, will, would that, you know, can can that happen? And so, like, if yeah. you were just yeah. read this in a vacuum, yeah. you might draw the conclusion, no. Yeah. <laughs> we, so. If we know a little bit about Paul's background, right, he could easily, easily be categorized as a murderer. He might be on yeah. death row in our setting in a different cultural background That's true. or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he might, you know, he, he could be accused of that. And, uh, but that is not who he is now. Mm. That's not his identity. He's not a murderer mm. in, in, you know, God's, uh, economy. It's yeah. the, the sins are taken away. That's mm-hmm. what John proclaims. I, I, I don't know if there was this passage or maybe it was in the first chapter. Um, but, but Paul is, is declared something else now. He's mm-hmm. declared a saint. He's declared the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it is truly incredible that that is brought up and you know we can look to the you know the the person who authors most of the new testament and yeah. say you know he he very well could have been a murderer well, i think that's a good point like identity is something that actually we, we do talk a lot about at smcc and that could be woven into this too identity mm-hmm. could be i yeah i continue to sin or i'm a, yeah mm-hmm. i just do that or or murder like uh, this is something i think is okay as to to, you know, kill something that's made in the image of God, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that's different than, yes, I'm on death. I've realized what I've done and I realized Jesus is the only one who can save me. And now I'm leaning into that identity. That's different. Than, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, he's almost saying like, if you're in, if you're in the act of committing murder in a sense, that is uh well, he's, again, he's using the case study of, of Cain to say that this is what the absence of love looks like. And if love is the evidence that this has taken place, then the absence of love or even the presence of hatred is, in a sense, an indication that, that something might be off there. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, not, it's not saying that grace isn't available for someone who has murdered mm-hmm. um, at mm-hmm. all. So yeah. there's nothing that you can do that can put, that's going to put yourself beyond the grace of, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and I feel like this is touching this passage and I know we got to move on to kind of the last bit of it, but I feel like this mm-hmm. passage touches on a few areas that as he's drawing the contour of what is the shape of the Christian life, it can touch on different spots of our lives too, because in six, uh, 17, um, verse 17, talking about somebody who is in need. Mm-hmm. And I know in my life, I had a journey since I'm following Jesus and just what do my, what do my finances look like? I tend to be very clingy with my finances. And, um, but that's an area that has grown over the course of the journey and the process of following Jesus in that I'm desiring and wanting to be more generous with the finances that I have. Um, and so it could also be another one, like if you go back up to the previous passage as well, like how do I treat other people? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think that is a process that you as a believer would be growing in that, uh, <laughs> that you're continuing to grow more and more and what it means to love other people too. Yeah. And for me, it's just area of finances. It could be a whole bunch of different things is what I'm saying. Different areas of life. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, well, yeah, one last thing about Cain. If you read the rest of Genesis four, the, the end of it, I think you do find that God still continues to seek out Cain to chase after him, mm-hmm. to show him incredible mercy and love. And while Cain did like some horrific things, it's not necessarily, it's not, it's almost ambiguous how Cain's story ends, but at the very least, it's not clear what Cain does, but it is clear that God is continuing to pursue him in love. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's encouraging. Yeah, good deal. Um, Yeah, then after this, you know, verses 16 to 18, Jesus is being put forth as the supreme example of love. He is how we know what love is through what he did for us, his death on the cross, laying down his life for us. And then John goes on to say that, um, you know, the, the love that is the evidence that we've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life is the love that we display to one another. That's in alignment with the love that Jesus has, um, you know, displayed to us. And then he gets really practical getting into material possessions and how we practice generosity in a way that, that shows care for one another. Mm-hmm. But, but the next part of the letter, um, verses 19 to 24, we actually mm-hmm. didn't have time for. And uh, next week we pick up at chapter four, verse one. So this little section oh, and the little oh bit of time goodness. we have left it's might so be, good. let's jump into this is it. bonus let's content. Let's do bonus. it while we got the time. <laughs> so verse 19, uh, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Wow, there's a lot in here. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so take it away, boys. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the biggest passages that pops out there is um, the uh, uh, praying to receive. Mm. Um, let me pick it up here. Uh, if uh, And we receive from him anything we ask, you know, mm. and, and taking that kind of grabbing that one little phrase out of context. No kidding. Could, uh, could lead and has led a lot of people to teach and, and believe and think for something. It feels uh, transactional. It yeah. almost reads like that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and you rub a genie lamp, here's the uh-huh. formula, and, yep. and here's, I can get anything can that wait. I ask. Yeah. But I think the key is if our hearts do not condemn us. Hmm. So as a believer, God does <laughs> something to our hearts, hmm. you know, and not our physical hearts, but, you mm-hmm. know, the, the uh, our will and our emotions. And, uh, and I think when that is transformed and in line with um, what God desires and wants, then, you know, if, if your heart, you're asking for, mm. to receive something. And if you and, and your new heart uh, that's been transformed is not lining up with mm. what God desires or wants, it's, you know, it reminds me of Paul three times. He said, take this, this thorn away from me, this, this thorn in the flesh. And the answer was, you know, that's not a part of God's plan. And mm-hmm. he had a purpose in that. Um, so he asked, but he mm-hmm. didn't receive that because his heart wasn't aligning, I guess, exactly with what God's plan was, his will was. That's very practical. That's how I like to tell, I like to teach people how to pray is like, I think you should ask for what you want. 
Mm-hmm. And then what I do is I ask for what I want and then say, and then, and then if this is not what you would, what you would want, God, please align my heart with yours. I want it to be aligned mm-hmm. with, yeah. with your uh, desires and your will. And so I think you do both. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to desire what you desire. I want to delight in what you delight in. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, this passage also gets at, again, he's, you know, talking to a group of people that he really cares about who've been impacted by these teachers who uh, have been trying to persuade them to build their lives on lies, and they're caught in the middle here, sort of wavering, unsure, uh, really uncertainty in their relationship with God. And so part of what John does here is is really what he spent a lot of chapter two doing, you know, kind of sketching the shape of the Christian life in order to give them a sense of certainty. And in this section, he's doing the same thing, you know, talking about love again as evidence that indicates that you've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, that the Holy Spirit, uh, third person of the Trinity, has taken up residence within you, is active and, um, you know, is, is um, a significant part of your life now. And all of this gets us to a place where we can put our hearts at rest in his presence and know that we belong to the truth and don't have to be in this place where we're unsure, we're uncertain, we're wondering, have I done enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I mess up, man, I did mess up. Is uh, is God upset with me? Or this awful thing happened in my life. Is this because I haven't been good enough? Mm-hmm. I'm not worthy. And mm-hmm. I think everything that John says here is an indication that no, that's not the case. You can know, mm-hmm. um, you can be at rest in his presence. You can set your heart at rest in his presence because of these things. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And I think people could come to that conclusion in that very verse of, of saying, well, I'm not receiving something uh, that I asked for because it goes on to say, if we keep his commands mm. and thinking, oh, I didn't do something and I've now I'm receiving punishment because mm. I didn't keep the commands. I think it's important to point out that commands here does not mean 613 Old Testament laws. Mm. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. sometimes we just see that that term and we think, oh, these these Moses's commands. Mm-hmm. Because he goes on to say, no, here's the command. Mm-hmm. It is to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another. Mm-hmm. And that is an expression of of our commands of, of really what Jesus led us uh, to do. Um, mm-hmm. The disciples asked Jesus, what, what's the work that we're to do? Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And Jesus's response was the work is to believe in the son. Mm-hmm. And then, and he also always points out um, time and time again, um, the love that is supposed to be an overflow of that. And that's what John uh, reiterates here. Yeah. yeah. Believing in the son and loving that sums up, um, you know, a lot of the Christian life. Yeah. yeah, which is the continuing in him from the beginning so that we may appear unashamed and confident before him. So he, he bookends the section mm. with uh, with that certainty uh, based on believing, trusting, continuing in Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. he ends it with, hey, and have confidence that you are in Christ and, mm-hmm. and you can rest in that. And, and, and so he says, and this is how we know that he lives in us because mm. we have this love in us um, and, and it's very apparent and we can we can rest in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Christian life is a very self selfless life. Um, Jesus modeled that for us, and we should be doing that as well. And yeah, all aspects of our lives, and I think that's reinforced not just through John but other parts as well. That um, yeah, it's not as much concern about ourselves, but also mm-hmm. concerned for really concerned for other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that here. So yeah, totally. Yeah, I think the bottom line was the more we align ourselves to love, the more we align ourselves to joy. That sin promises more but delivers less, but love 
uh, actually is us giving up things that have mm-hmm. value for us. It it's almost opting for less, and but you end up receiving more. Yep, and, and that's yeah. and that's I'll just bookend it with this because we're at the end of our time. But there's continued research that is being done on when we're talking about like mental health, and they're doing like research on that. It's like the more that you, essentially, if you if you are depressed um, or anxious or things like that, one of the better things you can do is spend time helping other people like that's so good for the way that we're wired so i mean that fits with that bottom that bottom line that for for this week too so it it plays out practically well great guys so glad to have you here today ben thanks for jumping on yeah thanks for having me yeah yeah really appreciate it i gotta watch watch eurovision i gotta have you you watched it i've never seen it you will thank me yeah it's so good (laughs) we should do a movie night movie night movie night with ben we'll watch his favorite movie (laughs) anyways guys thank you for being here uh audience thank you for for listening and uh yeah we'll continue through this for our contour series leading up to easter and uh we'll see you again next week Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.